the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. We started out this morning talking about special needs kids, and we uh, end up talking about kids who won't listen in this third half of our show. Um, The author of a uh, new book, How to Talk When Kids Won't Listen, uh, is joining me by phone. Her name is uh, Joanna Faber. Joanna, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Just uh, for the just for the few people who have that rare, rare kid who won't listen, right? <laughs> well, I was going to say, you know, my my kids are grown and they have kids of their own now, but mm-hmm. um, I must be one of the the few parents that didn't read your mother's book. Oh, okay. How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk, which was hailed by the Boston Globe as the parenting Bible. To what degree, Joanna, did you base your work on what your mother had had done, which was sort of groundbreaking? Well, I did grow up really soaked in that stuff. You know, I, 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 I grew up with a, you know, a dad who was a guidance counselor and a mother who was a teacher and studied with Dr. Ganon and wrote these books. And even, even when I was a little kid, I was reading all these books on parent-child communication and <laughs> child psychology because yeah, I was quite the reader, and that's what was on the bookshelf. So who so, was raising uh, who in your household? <laughs> no, I was in charge for sure. Of course. <laughs> and then you know, I, I, 
I went to college. I actually got a job as a teacher. I, I taught in West Harlem in a bilingual special education program for 10 years, and I, I got to use all these great communication skills with my students. So, you know, I felt like pretty sharp, you know, and, and I figured when I had my own kids, everything was going to be very smooth sailing because, you know, I got this, right? And then, you know, I did the actual experiment of creating these three little children and living with them 24 hours a day. You can't go home at 3 o'clock. And <laughs> I discovered it was a whole different ball of wax. You know, parenting is very relentless um, and challenging. And, uh, you know, here are these, these little guys that have all their, those needs all day and all night. And at one point, I was... I guess when I was raising my kids, I didn't go around telling people that I had a mother who wrote this best-selling book on parenting because, you know, who needs that kind of pressure, right? <laughs> people side-eyeing you when your 18-month-old is biting the other 18-month-old, saying, you know, can you believe? So, yeah, what would you do about this? wrote a book on parenting? <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I, didn't, I didn't want to be in that kind of spotlight. Uh, so what happened was we had this little... Uh, you know, parent play group, we called it. You know, we called it a play group for the kids, but really the kids were pretty much, you know, playing tug-of-war with trucks and bashing each other over the head while we parents would try to have an adult conversation and have connection with the outside world, as you could do back in those days. And one of the moms in that group brought me this book called How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk, and she said, Joanna... You have to read this book. You'll love it. It's just your style. <laughs> At which point I had to shamefacedly admit that my mother had written that book. And then she <laughs> asked me, <laughs> and she, she, you know, she called out to everybody, hey, guys, Joanna's mother wrote this book, and she never told us. Um, so she outed me. <laughs> and um, <laughs> then she asked me to give a talk at her church, and then they wanted to do a parenting workshop, and I sort of got sucked into this thing. Um, and then meanwhile, my childhood friend, Julie King, who was living on the other side of the, I want to say universe, but it's really just the country, in California, um, was... Well, for some people, that seems like the other side <laughs> of the universe. It sometimes feels <laughs> like it, right? Right. Yeah. So she had... Somehow drifted from a law degree in practicing law into giving parenting workshops for parents of kids who were on the autism spectrum and had all kinds of special needs. And we used to talk all the time on the phone and we trade stories and say, What would you do about this and what about that? And at one point, she started lobbying me, you know, we should put this material together into a book. And I said, no, that book's been written. You know, my mom wrote that book. I don't want to write another book like that. But um, she convinced me. She was very persistent, and she convinced me that, you know, it was a new age and there were new problems and, you know, people could use fresh information and fresh stories, stories for parents of kids who were on the spectrum, stories for um, parents who were, dealing with, well, now, new challenges, you know, global pandemic, uh, screen time, and, and we ended up putting our material together and writing a book, 
how to talk so little kids will listen. Oh, this is turning out to be a very long answer to your question. <laughs> Which is great. I, you know, I, I, I hate it when people go, yeah. <laughs> I, I There's got to be some sweet spot in between, right? I had you on the show to find out about you, not me. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, I want to find out a little bit about you, too, because you have, you know, you have the actual kids and the actual experiences. But I'll just keep going. I'll just keep sliding well, down one that Well, one of um, my favorite tricks yeah. with, uh, with my older daughter when she was young, just approaching teens, um, is she would be kind of willful. And um, mm. so <laughs> I, I, off, I, I didn't often do this, but I did it enough that I, I, I didn't have to do it often. I threatened to take her to the mall, and I would dress as a hippie. Oh, dear. And it scared her to death. <laughs> and, and, and whatever problems we were having, we could talk about it after that, because she did not want to go to the mall with Dad dressed like a hippie. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But, I guess I couldn't use that threat on my ki kids, because you should see my drawer full of tie-dyed T-shirts <laughs> that I wear with or without threat. Just because I like to tie-dye things. So that, that threat would have been toothless for me. Well, but my kids were absolutely convinced that their parents were just not anywhere near cool. Um, and now it turns out you are, right? Well, to You're some still people. waiting for them to come back to yeah. you and admit that they were wrong. <laughs> no, they, they have in various ways. But one of the things that's, that's different now is this idea of willful kids and it's interesting that your book is you know expanding on your mother's work with the phrase kids when kids won't listen is yes well are, there, okay. are, are kids today more willful than they might have been 20 or 30 years ago I don't think so. I think humans are humans, um, and you, nobody nobody likes being ordered around. Well, you know, if, that's true, right? <laughs> I mean, humans don't like being ordered around. So you know, if, yeah. Just look at the protests over masks. There you go. That's a great example. <laughs> it it really is yeah. a great example of of what we're talking about, yeah. and it's it, um, and that has to rub off on kids. It, you know, it, I think it seems to us. You know, we're trying to manage kids, and we're under a lot of pressure, and we're trying to get through the day. And it seems like the most efficient way to get them to do things, you know, is to tell them directly what we want them to do. But we do a lot in our book where we ask people to try this out on, our, on themselves. Like, how would you feel if I said to you, you know, look at that mess you made. You need to pick it all up, every little bit of it. You know, get your coat on. Hurry up. You know, if you keep playing with your broccoli instead of eating it, you can forget about dessert. Does it make you feel cooperative? Chances are not, right? I, I remember... Uh, I, walking into a library as an adult and seeing this big sign that said in capital letters, do not touch these books with two exclamation points after it. And it was over a pile of books. And, you know, <laughs> I was growing up, I knew why they wrote that. It's because they didn't put the little, um, you know, 
hard in it yet, so they could, you know, that. And, but that command in those capital letters with those exclamation points, it just, it, it sucked me in. And as I was walking by the pile, I just reached out and I touched those books. And I felt this little <laughs> thrill of satisfaction, like, you can't stop me. You're such a <laughs> rebel. <laughs> I'm such a rebel. Well, that's, the that's like the old, uh, the old joke about don't, you know, don't push the red button. Don't, don't touch that button. <laughs> and you sit it. there and you stare right. at that red button, and there's, yeah. all of a sudden there's nothing you yeah. want more in the world than to push that red button, even though you have no idea what kind of tragedy might that is that is something that seems to be embedded in our DNA. And, and, you know, when we sometimes we like to throw in a little threat, too. You know, we say to a kid, if you throw rocks one more time, I'm, I'm going to take you to the mall. I'm going to take you to the <laughs> I'm mall. I'm going to take you to the mall. Like you know, <laughs> and we like to say, you know, what does the kid hear? What the kid hears is throw rocks one more time. You know, a threat can really become a challenge, you know, touch that button, touch those books. Um, the point I'm making here, you know, at length is that kids get the same defiant feelings um, to commands that we adults do. So when we wrap out commands, we're working against ourselves. So we have uh, maybe eight, nine different skills in the book that you can use when you find a command rising to your lips um, and yeah, things that will make a kid feel cooperative because that's half the battle. Now they're on your side. So, you know, for the kid that you're tempted to say, don't you dare throw that, um, you can give the child a choice instead of a command. You know, you're in a throwing mood. Um, do you want to throw a paper plane or do you want to throw your foam ball? Like now you've just broken that cycle. You've offered them an opportunity to think a little and get invested and have some autonomy. It's, it's um, funny. And I, it, it, I'm and sorry, it's, go ahead. It's interesting that you bring that up because it, you just reminded me of a conversation I had with um, my first ex-wife. Um, <laughs> it wasn't a conversation to let that led to our divorce or anything but she had a habit of saying take this to the mailbox or take out the trash mm. and and i remember having a conversation with her and just saying would it be so difficult to just ask me and what did, what you was know, her reply she she didn't know she was doing it she responded yeah. very favorably to it she said i didn't realize i was doing that of course now take this to the right. mailbox. Okay, so no. <laughs> that's, a, that's just a perfect example. You just hear, take out the trash, and your immediate reaction is probably like, no, or you can't make me. <laughs> or, <laughs> or the old Rodney Dangerfield line, you cooked it, you take it out. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> no, I, Ooh, that now, would get you in further trouble. Now, now you know why she's my ex-wife. But anyway, I have to take a break here, Joanna. Can you stick around so we can talk some more? Absolutely. All right, that'd be great. My, my guest is uh, Joanna Faber, author of How to Talk When Kids Won't Listen. We're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We will be 
right back. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. 
Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue my conversation with the author of a new book called How to Talk When Kids Won't Listen. Joanna Faber joins me by phone. And uh, Joanna, welcome back, and thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. Oh, it was interesting. Um, Joanna, is it Joanna or Joanna? Joanna. Joanna, okay. Yeah. Um, the uh, One of the things, again, that I notice uh, differently or different between uh, your book, at least judging by the title, and I know you can't judge a book by, by the cover, but... Um, well, that's where you got to start, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but uh, your mother's book um, was called How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk. And, and I'm a big proponent of back-and-forth communication. Um, but your book differs in, in using the phrase how to talk when kids won't listen. Um, is there something very different about kids who who won't listen I don't think there is I think they're just little humans who are developing their own sense of self um what what but is where that something... title grew from was that we uh my co-author Julie King and I had written a book called How to Talk So Little Kids Will Listen because we had uh just a whole bunch of material on that. And as I'm sure you know, little kids inhabit their own special world that is, you know, high in energy and low in logic. And <laughs> we, we had a lot of parents asking us, you know, how do I use this approach when my two-year-old is completely bonkers? So we, put, we wrote this book. And after we wrote this book, we got over a 1,000 emails uh, from all over the world, I mean, Singapore, South Africa, Australia, Ukraine, uh, with people writing stories to us of how they use these skills, but also asking us questions, you know, but what about when? Of course. You know, and, and they had, you know, specific instances that were extremely challenging. Uh, so... We here we are, you know, writing back to all these emails individually, and you know, eventually we just compiled such a stack of material that we decided to make it into another book to address those tough issues, and and we used that title because we wanted to we wanted people to recognize the approach that that had a talk approach approach. Uh, but no, I don't think there's anything especially different about you know kids who won't listen. I, if if I were to uh, circle back to a question you asked in the first part of the interview, where yeah. you said are are kids different these days? Are kids more defiant? Um, I think in the old days it was much more acceptable to use force, right? If your kids didn't do as you say, you know, give them a good smack. 
Um, but nowadays, we, we really have overwhelming evidence that using force is counterproductive in the long run. I mean, there, there's study upon study upon study uh, indicating that kids who are harshly disciplined are more likely to be aggressive with other kids. They're more likely to act out in school. They're more likely to have depression and anxiety. They're more likely to end up physically abusing their parents. So we really need to find better ways. And but is there a difference the, yeah. between a kid that, that isn't listening and a kid that won't listen? Is, is there an intentionality there? Well, can you give me an example? Give me an example of, of what you're thinking about. Um, the, the, the only examples that are coming to mind are, are a little bit extreme for what I mean. Um, I had uh, a daughter one time who uh, was so angry at me about um, not giving her a, a cookies when she wanted cookies. And she went in the bedroom, slammed the door, and then she came back, looked me right in the face and said, you don't love me and you never did. And then she went back into her bedroom. Oh, wait, I'm, I'm so sorry. My, my phone went dead. I thought I heard some clicks there. Anyway, um, I, I You said, I had a daughter one time who, and that's, as, she, if, if you don't mind repeating that, no, I would be I, ever no. so grateful. She got angry at me for not letting her have cookies when she wanted them, and she, ah. uh, she came up to me and looked me straight in the face and said, you don't love me, and you never did, and she went in the bedroom and slammed the door. Mm. Like, and, and I'm not going to talk to you anymore. And, and that's, that's, that's what I mean. That's an extreme example of, of you know, but I, I'm thinking of um, cases where, you know, a, a child intentionally won't listen to what you're saying. Sure. That's, that's actually a great example. Um, kids don't behave right when they don't feel right. Right. So you're talking about a kid who's having very strong feelings of disappointment and frustration and anger. She wants what she wants. And there's this big person standing in front of her saying, no, you can't have it. Yeah, she loves um, cookies. Cookies are so good. So one of the things that I think all of us parents have trouble doing is dealing with strong negative feelings. I mean, we want to dismiss them. We want to brush them away. We want to say, like, ah, oh, you're overreacting, or it's not that bad. You can have cookies later. Uh, you know, that's life. Uh, don't be so sensitive. Calm down. And if, if we think of times when we were upset, really upset about something, if, I don't know if you can imagine a time where somebody, a friend or a spouse, responded to you saying, like, oh, hey, it's not that bad. You're overreacting. Calm down. Uh, uh, yeah, Would that uh, make you feel better? A time or two. <laughs> you can think of a time or two. There, there's sort of nothing more enraging than to be told, you know, calm down when you're angry. Calm down. You're overreacting. It's really nothing. Um, it, it's counterintuitive, but what's going to help when a kid is really upset, is to acknowledge that upset. 
and say, like, ah, oh, you really wanted a cookie. It's so disappointing. You, it's frustrating not to be able to have a cookie when you want a cookie. If only you had a dad who would say, you know, you have to eat five cookies before you get your broccoli, you know, that would be, that would be pretty nice. When we acknowledge a negative feeling, it helps kids, it helps kids calm down. Uh, this is actually based on science. They, I, I recently, there are a lot of studies, but I recently read um, this very interesting thing that some researchers did where they um, monitored brain activity in the amygdala and they showed people very upsetting images. They, they took arachnophobic people and they showed them big hairy spiders. And <laughs> one group, they asked them to talk about it in positive terms. You know, oh, that spider's you know, more scared of you than you are of it. It's not going to hurt you. And the other group, they encouraged to use the strongest negative language possible, like, oh, I hate that. It's disgusting. It's scary. And what they found was that the people who were able to express their feelings, their strong feelings with strong emotional words, they actually calmed down. The activity in the, the amygdala calmed down. And they were able to then, in the next session, feel more positively towards spiders, which is very weird and counterintuitive, but we find it again and again with kids. So just go and experiment. You know, the next time your kid comes and says, I hate Sammy, you know, he's talking about his little brother. You know, our, our instinct is to say, oh, come now, you don't hate your brother. You know, that's not nice. He's part of your family. You love him. But that doesn't match his experience. Is, <laughs> it's just going it to frustrate him. Is it at all? You know, it, is it at What's all that? prudent to um, a- allow a child to have a little space to vent that negative energy, or should you intervene right away and try to redirect it? I wouldn't redirect it. I would, I would give him words for I mean, it. You I said would say, like, oh, you sound really angry with your brother right now. Something he did really bothered you. So, I mean, I'm not saying like, oh, yeah, your little brother, he's a creep. We should leave him at the orphanage. But <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm helping to give a kid a language, a vocabulary of emotions. You know, oh, that was so disappointing. Or, oh, that made you mad. Or this kind of thing can be frustrating. So when they start to learn to put emotion words on their feelings, it helps them actually process their feelings. That's actually going to help him feel better towards his brother than if you just scold him and say, you shouldn't talk that way. And he's going to think, well, I shouldn't have talked that way, but you shouldn't have ever had him, you know, because um, <laughs> you know, he's a pain in the neck and he broke my Lego spaceship. But if you, if you say to him, oh, you so sounds like you're really frustrated with your brother right now, something he did really bothered you, then now you're kind of on his side. And he's like, yeah, I spent all week making my Lego spaceship, and he played with it, and he tried to fly it, and he broke it into a million pieces. I'm going to kill him. And, and then you can say, oh, all that work. You spent a whole week putting together those little pieces, and, you know, three-year-olds don't really have the ability to be gentle with things, and they, they just want to grab them. You know, what can we do? What can we do to keep your stuff safe? It's that kind of 
language that's actually going to help him get back to more fond feelings towards his brother. And, and it's a little scary for us to do, I think. Is it about... Because we don't want to fan the flames. We don't want to increase the, the negative feeling, right? Yeah, it's, it, it, it sounds a little bit tricky, but it, but it sounds like essentially what, what you're trying to do is to put rage in perspective. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess it's, so. It's, because, it's, not, it's yeah. not full out, you know, like the example I gave with my daughter when she said, you don't love me and you never did. Well, that was extreme, <laughs> you know, that was, that was completely over the top. But, you know, I didn't challenge her on it and say, well, you loved me yesterday or I loved you yesterday. Um. Yeah, you can't you can't really argue with an enraged person, but what you can do is interpret for her because that's what I mean about she maybe doesn't really to... hate her father, but she really feels immensely frustrated about the cookie. So what you're doing is you're putting into words what she wants to say and you're giving her language for that. And that that helps in the same way that using words like, you know, I'm frustrated, I'm angry. Uh, helps kids learn to use language instead of using their fists or their feet to hit or kick. You know, giving them words like that also helps them process their emotions and learn to to express them helpfully. You're when you're doing that, you're modeling. You know that uh, you're not saying we don't say don't say I hate you, but you're really you really are modeling for her how to express herself when she's distressed rather than lash out in the strongest way she can by saying, I hate you and you never loved me. Right, right. And, and, and I guess what I meant about putting rage in perspective was um, it was really a way of, of using a, a heated moment as a teachable moment. I think that could not be better said. Um, I... I I'm, I'm reminded of an interaction where, where a young man was talking to his mom about how angry he was at his teacher and how she was such a jerk. And I don't think he actually used that word. He yeah, might have I was, used I was word. just thinking. I, <laughs> I, 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 For I the can, purposes of your radio station. And I, um, and I, and I yeah. appreciate your sensitivity there and, and that little edit, but I heard what he really said. <laughs> you heard it. You heard it inside your head, as I'm sure your listeners did. And, you know, and of course she said to him, you know, don't talk that way about your teacher. That's not nice. That's like not acceptable. And... I reminded her of that whole try it out on yourself thing idea of, you know, imagine that you came home from work and your boss had done something absolutely vile, you know, and, you know, maybe taken credit for your work or yelled at you in front of the whole staff for something that wasn't your fault. And you come home and you say to your spouse, you know, oh, my boss is such a, jerk <laughs> right. um, and your spouse said oh, that is disrespectful we don't use language like that in your house in, in in this house you know now now you're not just angry at your boss now you're angry at your spouse right i mean it would be greatly preferable i think for the health of your marriage 
if your spouse said, oh, something really awful must have happened at work, you sound furious with your boss. And then your spouse would tell you all about it. And, and if you are a person who is sensitive to language and perhaps your son used a sort of vile, sexist word to describe his teacher, you might say, I hear how angry you are at your teacher. When you use words like that, I get so upset I can't listen to you. Can we find another word? And, and, and if you've been acknowledging your kids' feelings and you care about their feelings, they're going to care about your feelings too, especially if they want to talk to you about it. You know, you might just say, I can't, I can't talk about this when you use that kind of language. Now, it, we're, we're it just pre- makes me too upset. But you're still, you're still open to hearing, like, hey, the teacher's not there. You know, you can listen to your kids say, I'm so mad at my teacher, she did such and such, and then you can say, oh, you really didn't like that, that didn't seem fair to you. You would have rather she did such and such. And, he sa- and then he says, yeah, just because I, you know, threw a ball to my friend Max in the middle of class, which wasn't such a big deal, she totally lost it. And then you can say, oh, so she gets really upset when people throw things during class, it sounds like. So you can reinterpret that experience for them, respecting their feelings about it, and help them see it. Whereas if you move right in to correct them or dismiss their strong feelings or scold them for their strong feelings, you're just going to hit a wall. You're not going to really be able to have any influence over them. And Joanna, we've been talking mostly about, you know, fairly aggressive feelings, um, you know, mm. a- anger and, and, and so on. But what about some, some other feelings? Um, and and is, is the guidance the same for sag- sadness as for rage or anger? Um, it, you know, is it the same for boredom? Um, is it let's let's go with sadness because sadness is is really hard for us too because we we don't want our kids to be sad right we yeah. want to protect them from sadness but sadness is part of what gives us depth as humans um you know what I'll, I'll go right to divorce because divorce is is uh, can be profoundly sad and just feel like things are being torn apart for kids, and, <laughs> and we so desperately want to protect them from it. And uncommonly uh, um, frequent. And uncommonly frequent, or commonly <laughs> frequent, yeah. one might say. So when a kid expresses sadness about divorce, as a parent, you want to say, oh, it's not going to be so bad, you'll see, it'll be better. You know, now instead of having one house to live in, you'll have two houses to live in, and you can decorate your new room, and you can put pink ponies on the wallpaper, and, you know, you'll see, you'll feel better, because mommy and daddy won't be fighting anymore. So we want to reassure them uh, with the best possible motives, but the kid is left with that sort of aching feeling inside that nobody is understanding, and what's really going to be helpful if we can just bring ourselves to go there and say it's so sad. You wish, you wish mommy and daddy would stay together. You don't want to live in two houses. You want to just have everybody together in the same house. You know, you wish I it went could through be the way it was, and and that is actually going to be profoundly comforting to a kid. 
my, when my daughters were 11 and 7, their mother and I split up. And I sat my daughters down and told them to pick out an adult in their life, an uncle, a teacher, someone they liked and respected, if they felt like they needed to talk to somebody, because mom and dad were going to be a little crazy for a while. Mm. So that was helpful to them, I, that they had... I, I think it like was. Like somebody else who had listened to them who wasn't sort of embroiled in all the emotion of it. Yeah, that was, that was uh, you know, what I was hoping would happen, and and it did to some degree, and I think it I, I think it was helpful. But that's something that that parents, because they're embroiled, don't always think about. It's so hard, and that's why you know that's why we wrote the book with all the particular chapters. Like for instance, divorce. I mean, it's the same old skill: acknowledge feelings. Like how many times are we going to say it? Acknowledge feelings. Acknowledge feelings. Acknowledge feelings. But when it comes to your kid being very upset about the breakup, it's not our instinct. Our instinct is not to acknowledge feelings. Our instinct is to try to brush them away. And, you know, even, even adult to adult, it can be hard. There, I'll tell you this one little anecdote. A friend of mine, I was going to pick her up for a ride to the hospital to get some tests. And she told me over the phone she said, you know what I'm really worried about? I'm really worried it's going to be the big C. Mm. And I just immediately felt like saying, don't even say it. Don't even think it. And I kind of literally bit my lip not to say that. And I was just quiet for I don't know how many seconds. And then I was able to come out, sort of choke out, that's a big worry to be carrying around. And her answer was explosive. She said, yes, it is. And do you know what people say to me? I said, no, what? What do they say to you? They say, don't even say it and don't even think it. Isn't that ridiculous? <laughs> it's and the red I, button again. I never admitted to her that that's what I was about to say. And if she doesn't listen to this radio show, she'll never know. Well, I um, won't tell her. You don't tell. You won't tell her. I, I trust you. But it, it's such a gift to people when we can acknowledge their inner experience and they have one other person who understands what they're going through. It feels less alone. Like, that's what we seek as human beings is connection. And it was that sound of relief, that, yes. Um, and, and it's just hard. It's just hard to accept painful emotions. So we need to remind ourselves again and again and again to do it. Well, important lessons to be learned in a new book called How to Talk When Kids Won't Listen by uh, my guest this hour, Joanna Faber. Joanna, we have to wrap it up there. I, I appreciate you spending this time with me. I can't believe how fast it's gone, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you, the book, and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website? Oh, thank you so much. It's how dash to dash talk dot com. So that's how to talk with dashes in between. And if you're interested in getting our new book, if you click on a link on our website, you can get a bonus chapter called How to Talk When Your Parenting Partner Won't Listen because that's their <laughs> recent spate of emails saying, I want to use this approach, but I'm not on the same wavelength with my parenting partner. 
So we that wrote could be a whole book extra by material. Itself. You can get it for free digitally if you if you order through our website, how dash two dash talk dot com. Well, and our book is available hey, wherever books are sold. Thank you so much. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places. So be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Bye from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. Where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods. And in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. 
MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. The uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. All oh, the Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Mom always likes you best. <laughs> my mom always liked my brother best and she never liked me. Mom and you, you and keep, mom... Why do you keep telling me mom always likes you because best? Because she... Every re- time you get back, you say, mom always liked you best. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Well, Mom always liked you best, you and, and you always picked on me. You and Mom, you and, my mom and my brother get together and say, we don't like you, because Mom liked you best, you know and she why never I, liked me. Wait a minute, do you know why she liked me best? She, oh. <laughs> Would you like to know why she liked me best? Sure she liked me best, why not? I never knew mom liked you, Ben. <laughs> you and mom always used to pick on me. That's now I remember. Yeah, now you remember. Mom liked you best and she never liked me. You want to know why? Why? Because I happen to be an only child. <laughs> touchy, touchy. <laughs> Touche. Touche. This just isn't your night, Tommy. Your mom gave you a dog. My mom gave my brother a dog, and I didn't get to have a dog in more than anything. Everybody had dogs. I didn't have a dog. You got to have a dog in more than anything in the whole world. I wanted to have a dog of my own. I asked my mom, I said, Mom, I want to have a dog like my brother Dickie Smothers. You remember me. I'm Tommy Smothers. (laughs) And I never got to have a dog, and you wouldn't let me play with your dog or anything. I remember when I was 10 years old, I said, if I could only have a dog... My brother had a dog, and I, I couldn't. Crying, I didn't honey. get to play with your dog, and Why you, you would always tell mom when I play with your dog, "Hey, Tommy's playing with my dog." You remember Tommy, the kid you don't like so much? <laughs> and I didn't get to play with a dog, and I didn't have a dog. Hold it a minute. But before we go any further, you you know you had your own pet already. Crummy chicken. <laughs> well, you wanted it. It's no fun playing with a chicken. They don't bark good. You wanted it. You I didn't you, want that. You wanted to sell the eggs. It was a rooster. <laughs> and every Saturday, my brother, they would, all, the, all of his friends, they get on their, they all get up their dogs and they get their bicycles. And they... I didn't have a bicycle either. <laughs> you had a bicycle. Now, hold it, now, hold it down. Now. You're just getting excited. She, 
you had a wagon. That was a good wagon. One wheel. <laughs> What'd you do with the other wheels? Well, it was hard for the chicken to pull that one wheel wagon. <laughs> Listen. You never liked me and you went on hikes and you, and... You know why you didn't get to go on hikes? You, you never had, would accept you know, it. No, you even had a dolly. A what? A dolly. <laughs> my brother had a dolly. You shut up. <laughs> You had that dolly. I remember you and your dolly. I said, Mom, don't give me a dolly. I, I was always, I always liked my brother. Mom says, always like your brother. And I like my brother. We used to hang around and do things together. Every, about once every three or four months, he'd say, come on, Tom, let's go smoke some Crayolas. <laughs> Did not say that you did too. Did Stains your teeth. You go it? on hikes. That's right, we went on hikes because dogs and boys go on hikes. You can't take a chicken on a hike. Frank was a good hiker. Listen, all the guys knew Frank was the best hiking chicken in the block. The reason you couldn't go on a hike, you couldn't keep up. You in that crummy wagon. But you want to know the Fast, real reason? Fastest one wheel wagon around. All right, Tommy, we want to know the real reason is that it wasn't your place to go on a hike with us. It's, we liked you, we liked the chicken, but boys and dogs, they go on hikes together, they're buddies, you know? A little boy even sleeps with his dog. You've never realized the place for a boy in his chicken. Chicken coop. You should have kept that crummy chicken in that chicken coop, Tom, and away from my dog. My uh, chicken killed his dog. <laughs> <laughs> This was another Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Sunday I have known for 
steps ahead while you've been lying like a log. You ain't fooling no one but the dog. You think you're doing good living high on the hog. You ain't fooling no one but the dog. Nah, you ain't fooling no one but the dog. for today's uh, Friday Eve edition of the Tom Sumner program. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the uh, fabulous guests we had on today, including Joanna Faber uh, this last hour, author of How to Talk When Kids Won't Listen. And uh, and then earlier in the uh, middle of our three-hour tour, Dr. Lenny Peters, author of Barefoot to Benefactor, My Life Story of Faith and Courage. Fascinating story uh, from Dr. Peters. And uh, we started out this morning with Savan Hong, a special needs mom, author, and illustrator of a children's book series for diverse learners and those on the spectrum uh, called The Super Fun Day Books. And the third in that series is out now called... um, Emily D. and the Frightful First Day. There's Smoke and George Winters tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room, but I will be back tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program, and I hope you will be too. In the meantime, have a great day, and good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.